Ari Rosenbaum here with another episode of that 4K podcast. This week's topic, we're going to talk about mid-2021 4K updates uh, for you know, plant sponsors as well as the rest of the industry. Uh, right now, we're in the thick of it of the month of July, and July is always, to me, the signal point of the uh, you know mid-year. And obviously, uh, a lot of changes going on in the business, and so we'll talk about it. And of course, first things first... Um, Talk about our live events, that 401k network event, Mets game, July 28th. Uh, we also have that 401k conference returning live, St. Louis, September the 10th, Minneapolis, September 24th, and uh, Planet Houston, September 29th. Go to that 401ksite.com for further information on how you can sign up. Al Roboski was booked for St. Louis as our guest. Um, I'm trying to get confirmation on Houston. It may be Phil Garner. Uh, who was a former manager of the Astros, played on the 86 Astros, and uh, more importantly to me, was the second baseman on the 79 Pirates World Series champions. So we'll see how that happens. That 4 kcitecom for further information. Now let's talk about it. Um, Mid-2021 update. Um, number one, of course, the restatement process has begun. And when I think of the restatement process... Um, I remember um, being an arrest attorney working for TPA firms, and that was a big part of the business that I could certainly bring in when you're, you know, you handle hundreds and hundreds of 401k uh, plans and DB plans and profit sharing plans. And, and I remember I go back to the days of paired plans, money purchase profit sharing plans, um, and sending out those restatement letters. A lot of fun. Um, and, you know, asking for the $750 up front and, you know, the plain document is going to cost a couple thousand bucks, $2,000, $2,500. And you'd always get that, um, you know, there was a certain segment of the client population that would come back and try to negotiate. And, um, you know, you... You know, as an risk attorney, there's nothing worse than when somebody belittles you and tries to claim that whatever you're doing is boilerplate. Uh, no drafting plan documents isn't boilerplate. We do have choices. Um, it's a little bit more um, difficult than just, you know, filling in blanks. But it also reminds me of the time when I took a bankruptcy class with one of my favorite law school professors, Bernie Kaur, who... Uh, retired a few years back from the American University of Washington College of Law, and I took Bernie Kaur for civil, civil procedure and a couple of bankruptcy classes, and Bernie Kaur uh, said it best. Um, he used to joke that the bankruptcy code changed over a couple of years uh, in order to give uh, bankruptcy attorneys work. And, you know, I'm sure that a lot of those old TPA clients assumed that's, you know, what happened with uh, plan restatement process. But... You know, qualified plans such as a 401k plan, you know, have to, you know, operate according to the terms of the written plan document, and it's got to set forth, you know, the code, ERISA, all that kind of stuff. And the IRS requires plans to, right now, thankfully, over the last few restatements, they've created a, you know, um, what I think is a fairly, um, you know, convenient restatement process. Uh, we know it's every six years. We know uh, at year six, that's when people all of a sudden rush to the door and try to get it done rather than, you know, getting it done a couple years earlier. 
But uh, these volume plans or prototype plans that we use, not, not plans that are individually designed, but um, you know, the volume submitters, the, pro uh, the prototype documents, we have to receive them every six years. The last one happened, there was a deadline of April 30th, 2016. I remember that. Uh, my house was being renovated, you know, the flooring and some painting and all that kind of stuff. And I was in Las Vegas to speak at a event. Um, and, uh, you know, you get the call on April 29th from somebody who needs restatement documents done last minute. Um, so because April 30th, 2016, those were the PPA documents. Um, so right now we have a deadline of July 31st, 2022 for what we call the cycle three restatement process. That's the third cycle, re third restatement recycling process that we've had. Um, and I have to say, quite honestly, we had extra um, PPA, now cycle three, and Cycle three, I think, is uh, doesn't get the respect. It's the Rodney Dangerfield of restatements because there wasn't such a significant law change that we could name the process after them. So it's cycle three. Maybe the next one will be cycle four. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a mandatory restatement process for profit sharing, you know, pretty much DC plans. Um, it doesn't affect DB plans, four or 3B plans, or, you know, those individually designed plans. Um, you know, during the process, we've had some, you know, fairly new laws, um, including the CARES Act and the SECURE Act. And the funniest part of it is uh, uh, the cycle three restatement only takes into account plan changes through February 1, 2017. So we're like four years behind. And so therefore, cycle four is going to be the one that's going to take care of the SECURE Act and the CARES Act. Of course, we'll have to have good faith amendments added to uh, uh, Secure Act and CARES Act. Um, you know, but the actual restatement process will happen by 2028. Um, you know, we always talk about people on social media talking about their constitutional rights and all that stuff. Plan uh, sponsors have no choice but to restate their plan documents. Uh, even if they wanted to terminate their plans right now, uh, they'd still have to restate their plan document somehow. Um, you could obviously have your TPA, you know, plan sponsors could have their TPA do it. They could have a risk attorney like me do it. But it's a necessary process. And it's a good time to review the plan. Good time to review the plan provisions. Plan sponsor could say, you know what, eligibility doesn't work for us anymore. We, you know... We want to get more people signed up. Maybe we want automatic enrollments. Maybe we don't have a Roth. Maybe we should add one. And this would be a good time uh, for a restatement process for a plan sponsor to look at the plan and see if there are any added changes they want to make so they could avoid char being charged for an extra uh, um, amendment fee. Next on the list is obviously cybersecurity. I started in the retirement plan business in 1998. Um, I was affiliated with the Long Island CPA. Um, cybersecurity wasn't much of an issue since we didn't have a website and any of the investment decisions made by plan participants were done by paperwork or telephone. They make telephone changes. In 2000, I worked for a TPA and we actually had a website and all it did would give you an account balance and a change of investment election going forward. 
that was it. So it, you could change your deferral election, you could switch in and out of funds, uh, readjust your actual account balance. You could only change the deferrals on an ongoing basis. Of course, a 401 plan's website these days can pretty much do everything. It could do almost everything except Windows, which I never understand. Why do people have such an exception about doing Windows? I mean, you know, unless, you know, unless it's like a high-rise. Uh, you know, the, the problem with 401k websites is now you can do anything with it. You can request distribution. You could request a loan or a hardship. And, you know, the easier it is to use a 401k website, it's easier for cyber criminals to do that as well. Um, you know, the problem is even if a TPA is hacked, uh, it's debatable whether the TPA is liable. I mean, ultimately, the plant sponsor is initially liable, uh, being plant fiduciaries. Um, and even if the 401k TPA is liable, it doesn't stop the plant sponsor from being sued. Um, 401k plant sponsor, of course, as we know, has a fiduciary duty to secure and keep confidential the personally identifiable information of plant participants, as well as the retirement assets. Um, while a plan sponsor can delegate cybersecurity uh, responsibility to a TPA, plan sponsor has a fiduciary duty to make sure that the TPA has some sort of cybersecurity program or protocol. Um, they also need to make sure that the TPA has any insurance policies that would co cover cyber losses caused by cybersecurity and identify theft breaches, including breaches caused by internal threats, such as misconduct by the TPA's own employees or contractors, and breaches caused by external threats, such as a third-party hijacking a plant participant's account. Um, a plant sponsor can also be liable um, if the participant can show in court that you failed the prudent pr process to safeguard plant assets um, and plant data. And, um, you know... I think the plan sponsors really need to use common sense when dealing with cybersecurity issues. I mean, just this morning, you, I get an email. And I always wonder, do people really fall for that stuff, whereas that, that's attached PDF that you can't really access it easily? Or, you know, it's some kind of phishing scam to get your Outlook uh, email password. Or it's like some kind of secure fax, e-fax attachment that doesn't, you know match your eFax service, um, you know, it's the same kind of thing. I mean, if you see that, then you notice that, you know, plan sponsors um, can easily get hacked and have their TPA easily hacked. And this is really something important. Um, plan sponsors really need to make sure that the plan uh, is protected by cybersecurity procedures uh, as, you know, not just the plan's website, but also the plan providers as well. So it's important to um, be smart and, and, and be alert. Next on the list, it'll be a lengthy topic, but it's final on the list, is obviously the missing plan participant situation. Um, 401k plans, of course, you know, a lot of plan sponsors have this set it and forget mentality. They don't review their plan providers. They never review fees. They don't pay attention to details. Uh, 
there are certain things that certainly fall through the cracks, and one of the major cracks out there is when a former participant leaves and for one reason or another leaves money in their 401k account. And the problem, obviously, with former participants who still have an account balance is that, you know, plan sponsors eventually lose track of them. Out of sight, out of mind. Um, the problem, obviously, is, uh, you know, plan sponsors plan fiduciary for all assets, including the assets belonging to former employees. If they're missing uh, because they moved and you lost track of their address and all that stuff, um, these participants still have the right to direct the investment of their account balance. They still have the right to get notices. And this is something that falls through the cracks because everybody forgets about these missing participants. Um, you know, if you can't locate, you know, plan sponsor can't locate these missing participants, um, there is to me a whole host of potential headaches um, that, you know, certainly could be a problem. Um, it's just a recipe for disaster because, quite honestly, um, from the way I see it, missing participants only become an issue when the plan's terminating, and all of a sudden they have to locate these people and rid the plan out of these assets. But I think it's becoming more and more of a problem, especially on the fiduciary side of things. Uh, the Department of Labor is obviously going to ask about these missing participants. They have been for quite some time. Um but, you know, there's really no excuse. Uh, in 2021, it's far easier to find missing participants um, through Internet searches. You have companies, you pay $30 a month, you could find almost everybody anywhere. Uh, you know, when I started the business in 1998, to find a missing participant was really impossible. There were no Internet search firms that were easy to access. You needed to deal with the IRS, and they had this kind of slow-moving letter forwarding program where... They would play the role of mailman and take your letter and uh, send it over per the tax returns. Um, but, you know, one of the, <laughs> the funniest parts, I don't know if it was funny, but in those days when we had missing participants, nobody really bothered with them. Um, they only dealt with the situation again when the plan terminated and assets had to be distributed quickly to avoid having to file another Form 5500 if they were distributed before January 1st. Um, if participants couldn't be found, uh, we at the TPA would just merely withhold 100% of the account balance for tax payments to the IRS. Um, the DOL, I think around 15 years ago, said we couldn't do that anymore. And that's what set it up the whole IRA automatic role, the the whole IRA um, situation where IRA providers would take the money of missing participants. Prior to that, they won't because if they didn't have an address, they just didn't want to take it. Now they will take it. Um, and, you know, obviously a few years back, the DOL stated that missing participants were going to become a priority for them. In 2020 alone, the DOL helped missing and non-responsive participants recover over $1.4 billion in benefits. So that's a lot of shekels. Uh, it got so bad, uh, this whole missing participant issue, that the government accounting office asked the DOL to develop policies and procedures, and they quickly did. It's funny, they didn't quickly come up with policies and procedures for open MEPs, but that's a sore topic for me um, that uh, is neither here nor there, but I'm still waiting for the you know DOL to come up with some kind of guidance. Um, 
to flesh out that advisory opinion. I guess theoretically they did a couple years back, but whatever. That reflected that uh, whole uh, tag advisory opinion. Um, well, anyway, the DOL has developed sound practices and policies that plan sponsors really need to follow. Uh, according to the DOL, a plan may have a missing participant problem if they have more than a small number of missing or non-responsive participants. Um, they have more than a small number of terminated vested participants who have reached NRA but haven't started receiving their benefits. Um, missing inaccurate or complete contact information, census data, or both. Um, you know, missing birth dates, social security numbers, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, of course, there's also a missing participant problem if the plan sponsor doesn't have any type of sound policies and procedures for handling, um, you know, mail that's returned, um, you know, wrong address, address unknown, or just undeliverable. And, um, you know, they lack, uh, of course, they have a problem if they lack a sound policy procedure for handling uncashed checks. Um, as with anything in retirement plans, plan sponsors need a plan and a way how to handle missing participants. Um, but, of course, in order for a plan sponsor to handle a missing participant problem, they have to acknowledge that they have one. And so that becomes the problem. Um, I think that plan sponsors these days are going to have to develop policies and procedures um, to deal with missing participants because now the Department of Labor is asking on audits about how plans are dealing with um, missing participants. So, you know, you, you know, plan sponsors just can't go in a DOL audit and say, I don't know. <laughs> uh, like a certain family member did in court once, const constantly saying, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. You have to know. Plan sponsors have to know, and that means plan providers have to know as well. So, you know, this is a, 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 a big problem and a big topic. And, you know, like I said, if the Department of Labor is asking these questions, plan sponsors need to have answers. So hope you enjoyed this quick episode of that 4 k podcast. And again, go to that 4 site.com for further information on all our live events. Thanks, and hope to hear from you guys. Hope you tune in next week for another episode of that 4 k podcast.